Um, I wonder if any of you um, are familiar with, and I know the answer to the question, but Aesop's Fables. You remember some of them? We're going to read one this morning to get started. The North Wind and the Sun. The North Wind and the Sun had a quarrel about which of them was the stronger. Sounds like two brothers, maybe. While they were disputing with much heat and bluster, a traveler passed along the road wrapped in a cloak. Let us agree, said the son, that he is the stronger who can strip that traveler of his cloak. Very well, growled the north wind, and at once sent a cold, howling blast against the traveler. With the first gust of wind, the ends of the cloak whipped about the traveler's body, but he immediately wrapped it closely around him. And the harder the wind blew, the tighter he held it to him. The north wind tore angrily at the cloak, but all his efforts were in vain. Then the sun began to shine. At first, his beams were gentle. And in the pleasant warmth after the bitter cold of the north wind, the traveler unfastened his cloak and let it hang loosely from his shoulders. The sun's rays grew warmer and warmer. The man took off his cap and mopped his brow. At last he became so heated that he pulled off his cloak to escape the blazing sunshine. He threw himself down in the welcome shade of a tree by the roadside. So what's the moral of the story? Sometimes gentle persuasion is more effective than strong and harsh words if you are trying to get someone to do something for you. Would you agree? Now, how many of you would say, I've had a boss that was kind of like the north wind? Harsh. Now, don't be, nobody point at their wife right now. <laughs> Harsh, bitter, angry, demanding. It just makes you want to just do your best for them, right? Yeah, not so much, right? That's the boss you grit your teeth for and you just do it anyways. But then you have the boss who is... Warm, gentle, encouraging, kind. And you think, man, this is somebody I'd like to work for. I'll work hard for this person. Well, unfortunately, we probably experience both, whether it's at work or at home or just in life in general. You have the the people that are like the warm sun. You have people like the, the bitter and cold wind. And as we look at the scripture this morning, we see... Some instruction for servants to their masters, how that relationship is supposed to work. And maybe for us today, it's probably going to be more along the lines of employee-employer relationships. But we're going to read this together, and then we'll, we'll study it. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself 
to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the truth found in this passage. And as we uh, open it up this morning, uh, would you just uh, guide us and teach us to the, the truth in here? Uh, Lord, would you help us to understand it so that we could uh, apply it to our life, to our relationships? And Lord, would we be better followers of you? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this, this servant-master relationship, like we have something when we hear of servants, and maybe uh, if you're following along in your Bible, it might even read slaves. And of course, that brings up negative connotations, especially with our, the, our American history of uh, slavery, particularly here in the South. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what, what was this slave or servant, what did that look like for someone, for Peter's readers here in the first century? And so I was reading that 25 to possibly even 40% of the population in this Roman Greco world here in the first century were some form of slave or servant. That's, that's an astounding number. Um, and so in the ancient world, this idea of slavery or servitude was based not on race, but a variety of factors, social factors, economic factors, political factors. There were a lot of reasons why someone would end up as a slave or a servant. And of course, the working conditions um, would have varied greatly. And so some conditions would have been terrible, even brutal and unjust and unfair um, and just, just horrible. But others were treated more like uh, we would, we would, um, what we would have called indentured servants. They had a debt to pay. They agreed to work for a certain length of time. And when, the, when that length of time was finished, then they were free to go because they had paid off their debt. And then others were treated more like family, uh, they, were, they were paid, they held responsibility, um, they uh, took care of the affairs of the master, um, they were accountable, there was, there was a great level of responsibility. So there was a, a wide variety of, of slaves and servants. So when we read this in the New Testament to slaves or to servants, it could be a variety of people. Now, I do want to say that the Bible does not condone slavery in any way. Um, and in fact, following Old Testament principles, people would be able to work the way, come out of slavery and not remain in slavery. This was God's, God's plan. I think, though, here in this passage and in other New Testament passages that, that Paul writes and we'll look at later, Peter and Paul, they're dealing with a reality that possibly up to 40% of their readers were some sort of slave or servant. And so uh, dealing with that reality, how should they respond as a Christian in that environment. And so I think that's kind of uh, gives us a little bit of context as we start uh, into this this morning. So when we read this here, servants, in 1 Peter 2.18, um, and I'll, I'll put out a disclaimer, uh, my Greek and Hebrew is terrible. So I will, I will say Greek and Hebrew words from time to time. I'm not claiming I'm saying them correctly. I'm just, uh, it gives us an idea. But this is a Greek word, um, oikotes. And specifically meaning more of a domestic servant. So Peter's writing to servants who were probably on the, getting the better end of the treatment in, in terms of the, the servant or slave world of the first century. And so they were probably, uh, probably had good 
good or as good as possible working relationships with their master or employers, we would say. So this is the, this is the, the target audience that Peter is writing to. And he says what these servants are to do is to be subject to their masters. And we looked at last week in verse 13 that we as Christians should be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, that we should, subject or we should be subject to the governments. Another word that many translations would use in, in all these places would be to submit, that we should submit to governing authorities, that we should submit, that servants should submit to their masters. We would see in chapter 3, wives should submit to their husbands. So let's look at this word because we've, we've talked about it last week. We're going to talk about it again in the future. Uh, it's the Greek word, hupotasso. This word hupo means to be under, and the word tasso means to arrange. So to arrange under. It's talking about um, an order of things. And so the order of things here with servants and masters was the servants were under their masters. Um, and so let me read this this. Uh, definition that I pulled. The word's full meaning is to obey, to put under, be subject to, submit oneself to, put in subjection under, or be under obedience or obedient to. The word was also, still reading, the word was also used as a military term, meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And so this word gives us, is painting a picture, and uh, it's still reading, this word is a wonderful definition of what it means to submit to God. It means to arrange oneself under the command of a divine viewpoint, rather than to live according to one's old way of life, life based on a human viewpoint. So when we talk about submitting, we're talking about just falling into God's order of things. And uh, that's the Christian life, that we should be submit, a life of submission to God, a life of understanding what God would have for us and saying, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I will, I will think that way. I'll believe that way. I will live that way. And so we, as we understand, we submit to God. And we've, like I said, we talked about submitting to governing authorities this morning. It's servants submitting to masters. Uh, coming up, we'll be looking at wives submitting to husbands and so on and so forth. Other places says we should submit to one another as believers. It's all through the New Testament. So closely tied to this idea of submission is humility, right? And James brings that in when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So God gives grace to those who humble themselves into a position of submission under somebody. All right, so as these servants, they are to put themselves under their master, they are to obey their master, they are to fulfill the wishes of their master. Um, kind of like last week, we talked about we should obey the laws. Well, that's a simple first step. This is a fir simple first step for these servants or for us today, employees. Uh, probably all of us at some point were employees. Maybe there might be a few out here that were self-employed their whole lives. Some of you may be the employers. So this is some good for both of us this morning. But there's more than just doing what the, the master says. It's, it continues, be subject to your masters with all respect. All right, this is adding an element to it. So it's not just saying, okay, I'll do it and gritting your teeth and making it happen. But it is carrying out your boss's wishes with respect for him or for her. 
All right, so the little add-on there, with all respect, is really important to this idea of submitting. And it makes me think, maybe you've heard the story of the little boy, he got in trouble with mom and dad, and so mom sent him to time out. and said, you know, go over here and sit down. Three minutes, I'll come talk to you, right? And so the little boy goes over and sits down, and he looks back at mom and says, I might be sitting on the inside, I mean, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, Right, So he was submitting in the sense that he was doing what mom asked him to do, but he was not doing it with all respect. And so we get this picture that when we, when we carry out the wishes of our boss or our employer, we should not just do what's been asked of us, but do it with respect, do it with honor and respect. And this is something that Peter's been talking about through this whole book so far, continually referring back to doing things with honor and respect. So the Apostle Paul talks about uh, slaves and masters. In this translation, we're going to see bondservants, which is a stronger word. It's more towards slavery, uh, where this, this slave or the servant had no agenda of their own. They had no, nothing to do except to carry out the wishes of the master. And this is really how Paul refers to himself in relation to Jesus Christ. But more instruction here in um, Colossians 3, uh, verse 22. Bondservants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, right? Employees, obey your boss. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. There is a reward when you're working for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. So this, this passage is, it brings insight into this servant-master relationship, employee-employer relationship, that our work is our ministry. You know, whether you're, you're building a house, or you're cutting grass, or you're doing bookkeeping, or you're doing some sort of administrative task, we are working, we should be working as if we are working for the Lord. And it said here in verse um, 22, not to work by way of eye service or as people pleasers. And it makes me think back to when I was in high school, I worked for a fast food restaurant. And the restaurant had a motto, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. Right? And so they would conveniently keep um, like rags underneath the counter so that, you know, if, there, if you didn't have any customers, you pick up a rag and you would, you would start cleaning something. So what would happen, as you could imagine, is when the manager was there, there would be a lot of cleaning happening, right? And then when the manager was out of sight, the rag went away, and there was a lot of leaning happening, all right? So we were giving eye service, Right? When their eyes were on us, we were doing what we were supposed to do, but otherwise we were doing whatever we wanted to do. We we're still getting paid by the hour, right? That's eye service or people pleasing. And so it makes me think about this. Where's God in that situation? Right? How many of you have you've all watched the maybe you've done it, maybe you've watched a little two-year-old play hide and seek. Right? And when it's their turn to hide. They'll go over to the middle of the living room and curl up in a ball, right? You've seen this? And so you're, it, when it's a two-year-old, it's cute, right? They think you can't see what they're doing. 
But when God's watching us, cleaning when we're being watched and, and leaning when we're not being watched, it's not so cute, is it? It's ugly. He's watching us being deceitful and dishonest. Um, and so this verse here says that when we work, we are working for the Lord. That's how we should be doing it. Um, the net, it's 23, I believe. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. If you're just working for men, you'll clean when they're watching and you'll lean when they're not. But if you're working for the Lord, then you are representing him well. Okay, so we have this, this verses uh, building here. We are to, employees should be subject or submit to their employers. They should be doing it with respect, working heartily as unto the Lord. And then it now starts to get really difficult. In um, verse 18 still of 1 Peter chapter 2. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Not just to the warm sun, but also to the bitter north wind. Uh, and now this isn't easy. And maybe you think, well, wait a minute. You don't, you don't work for the guy that I work for. Right? Or maybe as an employer you're thinking, ooh. Maybe I'm not treating my employees so well. Let me say this. A person's sinful behavior towards us does not justify a sinful response from us. All right? A person's sinful behavior towards us does not justify a sinful response from us. And Jesus talks about this. We call it the golden rule, but Matthew 7, verse 12, this is where the golden rule comes from. This is Jesus speaking. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We would say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. And it's, it's coming from Jesus' teaching. So you, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. But in this context, it doesn't matter how your boss treats you. You are to treat them the way that you would want them to treat you. Not the way that they are treating you. So do this with me. Think about the absolute worst thing your boss has done to you. Worst thing. Everybody got something in their mind? Worst scenario. I see Tommy looking down there at Joe. I'm sure Joe's one of these warm sun bosses. <laughs> okay, now, now picture this. Picture Jesus before the cross. He's looking back in eternity, not, not in eternity, but back in time, and thinking about all the atrocities of man. You know, Jesus all-knowing, past, present, and future. Jesus looking forward to all of the atrocities that man would commit in the future. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross on our behalf. He treated us in a way that we didn't deserve. He treated the world in a way that the world didn't deserve. It's a gracious thing that Jesus would go to the cross for us. And so we read here in verse 19, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, thinking about what God did for us when we didn't deserve it, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's a gracious thing. It is a kind thing. It's a generous thing that you would be doing what you are supposed to do, and you are treated unjustly, and you would suffer for it. 
When we experience what God has done for us, it gives us the ability to share that same kind of gracious, generous, kind behavior to others, treating other people in a way they don't deserve. It's an act of kindness. God gives us grace, and now in these verses, God's saying, I've given you grace, now you show grace to people that you interact with. We can only do it if we're right here in the middle, mindful of God. If we're not aware of what God has done for us, if we're not being mindful of what God has done for us, then we just we grit our teeth and we push through, or, or we, we plot our revenge, or we think, well, he's got it coming to him one day. But think about how God treated us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. When we keep that in mind, then we can endure when we are treated unjustly. All right, so verse, verse 20, um, this is just some logical thinking, helping us think through why we would do that, how we would do that. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Right, it makes sense. Do the crime, do the time, right? If you do wrong, expect to be punished for it. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you en- but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God's going to look at that and he's going to say, man, this guy is demonstrating grace. He's giving generously to someone who did not deserve it. And so Jesus ta- ta- had to teach about this kind of thinking because in, when Jesus was uh, teaching with his disciples, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality was the teaching of the day. And so Jesus, Jesus talked about this here in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? Love people that love you. If you, don't have to, you don't have to love the ones that don't love you. But Jesus' new teaching was this. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So not just endure someone who's persecuting you, but pray for them so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Think about how God treats both the good and the evil. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We don't have like little pockets of rain here and there, you know, oh, uh, Bill's being good this week, so he's going to get some sunshine And this bill, oh, no, he's going to get clouds. His crops aren't going to grow this week. That's not how God does it. Everyone gets the sun, everyone gets the rain. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors or the sinners do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? You're just acting like everyone else. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're called to treat others the way that Jesus treated us, not the way that they deserve. We're following in Jesus' footsteps, verse 21 says. It says, for this, for to this you have been called. Right? We're talking about suffering unjustly. And Peter says, this is what you've been called to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So, okay, you're thinking, all right, Pastor Jeff, he's the new guy. 
maybe he doesn't realize it's Thanksgiving Sunday. We're supposed to give it an encouraging message, right? Try to get everybody to think about the things that they're thankful for. Let's, let's look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, possibly he wrote more about giving thanks than anyone else. And in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes about some of his life experience. And uh, he, he's kind of he's throwing out arguments about whether or not he was a faithful servant of Christ. And he kind of acknowledges that this is just silly, but he's, he's, he's just trying to uh, make a point. And he says this, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. We know that he spent time in jail. We know that he was abandoned by his ministry partners. So you look at the life of Paul and you would think if anyone had reason to be kind of to grit his teeth and be making a list of the people he needed to get even with, it'd be, it'd be the Apostle Paul. But what we find is that Paul just has this continual attitude of thanksgiving, of thankfulness. And um, I've got a, a list. You can take a picture with your phone if you're taking notes, or write these down as I, as I read some of these to you. In Ephesians chapter 1, this, this is, these are verses of Paul's thankfulness. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In Philippians chapter 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. He's thanking God. Colossians chapter 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again I'll say it, rejoice. Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How does someone who endured such unjust treatment be so thankful for so many things so much of the time? Why would he do that? Paul was aware of what his Savior had done for him and was choosing to follow in the footsteps of his Savior. He had an attitude of thanksgiving, not for the circumstance he found himself in, but because of what God had done for him. Now, it's worthwhile to note that Peter didn't always have this view on suffering. And in fact, he actually thought just the opposite early on. And so when Jesus was with his disciples, we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter correctly answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Like two or three verses later, we read this in Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed And on the third day be raised. Jesus knew what was before him. He was starting to let his disciples know. This is what's coming. This is what's going to be happening. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Hey Jesus, I don't know that you got this right. Let me help you out here. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter wasn't okay with the suffering. He wasn't wasn't okay with it. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the things of man, the things of Jeff Oliver, I'm looking for a little R&R, some relaxation, some comfort, good food, good fun this afternoon, right? Like just, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for not the easy life. I don't, I'm not afraid to work, but I just want to enjoy it. And Jesus is saying here, sometimes the things of God is going to mean suffering unjustly. Even then, after this, when we know when Jesus was arrested in the garden, Peter still hadn't put it all together. Jesus was arrested and Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He wasn't going to go down without a fight. So somewhere between... Jesus' crucifixion, and here where Peter's writing this letter, we see that he's had a change of perspective. So let's let's keep reading. Why why did Peter have this change of perspective? It's because he watched Jesus' life. Verse 22, talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus lived an upright life. He lived a life uh, of generosity. He lived a life of compassion. He was submitted to the will of God. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. It was Peter that pulled the sword in the garden. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus voluntarily suffered. He was treated horribly. He was treated unfairly. But he didn't retaliate. He didn't demand his rights. He put his trust in God. He responded that way for us. He responded out of love for us, even though we didn't deserve it. It says, he continued entrusting himself 
to the one who judges justly. He just kept putting himself back in God's hand. And that's the example for us when things, when we are doing what's right, maybe nobody else around us is, or maybe we are being treated unjustly because of our right choices, we just continually have to commit ourselves to God. In, in Romans, Paul kind of gives us some, some thoughts on, on what this looks like in suffering unjustly. How do, what do we do when we find ourselves in this situation? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. What's the human tendency? What's my tendency? Right? You want to curse them. You want to, you want to get even. You want to take it out on them. Jesus says, or Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Humility. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. No matter how someone is treating you, no matter how someone is treating me, my decision needs to be to, to do what is honorable. If, if, if possible, so far as, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You're not always going to get someone to treat you well. You're not always going to get someone to, to see eye to eye with you. But as far as your actions, your words, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. When we forgive somebody, we're not telling them it's okay. We are releasing them to let God deal with them. We're not going to hold it because we're the ones that suffer for that. We release them and let, leave it to the wrath of God. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That was Jesus' example. He was treated with evil, and he responded with good. He gave himself. It's the gospel. And we see it here in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus didn't come to even the score. He didn't come to make people pay. He was the payment. He came to die so that we could live. His sacrifice gives us life. His sacrifice allows us to treat other people in love even if they are treating us poorly. He's the example. Verse 25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It was a gracious thing for Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf. And Peter says here, it is a gracious thing when mindful of that, mindful of what God did for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross, that we would endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. We need to have the mindset that no, no matter what anybody else is doing around me, I will choose to do what is right. As followers of Christ, we are called to be ready to follow in Christ's footsteps of suffering. 
It's a gracious thing when we do good and suffer for it for Jesus' sake. It's not an easy teaching, but we see Paul following that teaching and living a life of thanksgiving. Eternally grateful for what God had done on his behalf. And when we keep in mind what Jesus has done for us, then we can endure. Not so that we get, you know, we can be called a saint, we can be called a good person, but Jesus endured so that we would understand how much he loves us. And as we endure for others, the goal is not to get a pat on the back or, or to get a, you know, prayers during your small group time or your Sunday school time, but it's so that they would see Jesus in you and they would come to know him. We need to be willing to follow Christ in this way. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Lord, I pray that we would have this attitude in our hearts this week. We have so much to be thankful for, starting with the gift of Jesus, that he would come and suffer and die in our place. Lord, thank you for sending your son when we didn't deserve it. And Lord, you're calling us to suffer at times while we are doing the right thing so that they would see the kindness and graciousness of our Savior Jesus through us. Lord, I pray that that would be our testimony this week, that that would be our testimony uh, in the days and weeks to come. Lord, we know that the, the victory is yours through Jesus. And while we may endure days on this earth that are unfair or unjust, we have um, this hope in heaven that we look forward to. And Lord, I'm sure there, there could be some this morning here that uh, just have never placed their faith and trust in you. They never really come before you and said, God, I am a sinner and I recognize my need of a Savior. And, and this verse this morning in, in, in your word, you bore our sins in your body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that's never taken that step, that they would admit that they're a sinner, that they would believe that Jesus died on the cross for them, and they would confess that before you this morning. Lord, as we uh, enter into this uh, week of uh, family gatherings and um, good food and fun, Lord, I pray that ever before, before us would be thankfulness for what you did on the cross for us. And that would be uh, the mindset. We'd just continually be mindful of what you've done for us and that that would affect how we live our lives. Lord, we love you. Thank you for treating us in a way we didn't deserve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.